Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Monday, November 5th, 2018. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serretta, and joining me in today's podcast is Slash Film Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And writer Y Trend Bowie. Hey, everyone. Do you know what happened today, guys? Uh, no. Today was the day that Dr. Emmett Brown invented time travel, <laughs> November 5th, yes. 1955. Right. Yes. Of course. Uh, that's when he fell off his uh, toilet while he was hanging the thing or whatever. Yeah, anyways. Um, so, uh, yeah, let, let's get into it. Let, let, let's, I'm sorry. Back to Future is my favorite movie. So I just... It's a red-letter <laughs> date in the history of science, Peter. Yes. And uh, uh, trivia, the date that Marty goes back and uh, back to the future... The uh, the famous Hill Valley lightning storm happens on November twelfth, which is my birthday. So, so oh, it's it's my it's perfect. my fav- yeah it's my favorite movie, and it's also my, my birthday is involved. Okay, anyways, let's jump into the news because we got a lot to talk about. Uh, last week was Halloween, and Brie Larson went out dressed as a character from the Metroid video game series, and now people are talking about the possibility of turning that into a movie. Ben, tell us about it. 
Yeah, um, on SlashFilm.com, you can see I've, I've embedded a few pictures here of Brie Larson, who's playing Captain Marvel in the upcoming Marvel Studios movie, dressed uh, in a zero-suit Samus costume, uh, playing, or uh, I guess cosplaying as the character of Samus Aran, who is the uh, protagonist of the Metroid video games. Um, the first game came out, and it was like a huge uh, game-changer for a lot of people because the character of Samus was revealed to be a woman at the very end of the game. And basically players played through the whole game, not knowing the gender of the main character. And, um, so that was like a huge thing. And she's like the character of Samus is like one of the first female protagonists in video games, um, who was especially who was like treated as a quote unquote regular character instead of like having her femininity be like, um, you know, a defining part of the character. So it makes sense for Brie Larson, who's like an outspoken um, uh, uh, feminist icon, I guess you could, you could call her at this point, uh, to to uh, take on that costume. And um, one of the one of her fans on Twitter said that dressing up as Samus Aran for Halloween is as close as we're going to get to a Metroid movie, isn't it? And she responded and said, I hope not. I want to make that movie. So, um, I mean, I feel like she would be a pretty great fit for the character for some of the reasons that I just mentioned. And she also has, I mean, obviously like an excellent dramatic range as well. I feel like this would be a pretty cool opportunity. I know that Nintendo has been flirting with the idea of getting back into making movies. Uh, they were famously burned with the Super Mario Brothers movie back in 1993. But we've written some articles over the years about how they uh, may be working on some animated stuff coming up. Um, they may be stepping back into live action at some point soon. I know we're they're encroaching on theme park territory as well. So uh, there's a lot of irons in the fire here. We don't have any like official confirmation that a Metroid yeah. movie with Brie Larson is actually happening, but it's a it's a cool thing to think about. Now, Ben, I know you've played uh, Metroid. I, I remember playing it for the you know the original one for NES, which I never got up to that ending. <laughs> I never got that far. Um, but what makes the the franchise of Metroid uh, like? What is the the catch there? Like, what is it other than just a I guess a sci fi kind of I don't know what is yeah, in the, the story. Like, like the appeal, uh, it's basically like Alien. It's very um, influenced by Ridley Scott's movie. Actually, it's it's about this uh, like intergalactic warrior who has this huge suit of armor and like a giant gun on her left hand. I think it is, and she can um, like roll down into this ball and and traverse uh, you know <laughs> lots of distances really quickly. And basically, it's just like her alone on a planet fighting against like this mother this queen alien kind of thing. Um, so like I said, it's, it's very much like the alien film franchise. So it might be difficult actually to sort of uh, translate that into a live action movie that doesn't feel so much like it's ripping off the alien world, since that's obviously the, the big cinematic touchstone for that particular type of sci-fi story. So yeah, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure what a Metroid movie could look like, but I do, I believe in Brie Larson. I think she's a great actress. Obviously she's won an Oscar already, uh, and a relatively young, uh, actress at this point. Um, but yeah, I think she, uh, she could do something cool with this. I think, you know, given the, the right, um, collaborators. Yeah. And she likes video games just like us. <laughs> she's a real person celebrities they're just like us <laughs> yeah. uh, HD did you ever play any of the Metroid games I never played a Metroid game but I did play as Samus in a few of the Super Smash Brothers uh, video games and this is actually 
the way she that she's featured in some of the later Super Smash Brothers is in her Zero suit. So for a while, I actually didn't know that she originated in like the big bulky suit. And I know it was quite polarizing when uh, Nintendo did that big reveal of it was actually a woman and not like a man that people had assumed Samus to be because it's a very gender neutral name. So I like the idea of having a another like female action star and one that's based on a long running video game character. And I think that this the video game sounds bare bones enough that you could just kind of use it as a launching pad to make just a good uh, sci-fi action flick with a female lead uh, if you have a good enough writer and star, of course. So if Brie Larson's uh, intent on doing this, she could find a good team to do it and make it into a, act- a very interesting and really great, um, potentially best video game movie <laughs> we've ever had, Yeah, <laughs> which oh, is a low bar. <laughs> That's true. I should also say that I've only played, I think, the first game on Game Boy and then like HD, I've played the Smash Brothers games as well. And I know there have been a ton of Metroid games made since then. And maybe some of those have like really great stories that uh, that, you know, uh, screenplay writers could um, could pull from. I'm not yeah. sure I haven't played those, but uh, it's definitely possible that there's there's a lot of material that they could mine there. I, th- I think once we get a really good video game movie, what it's going to be is going to be something like this where people just take like kind of the visual touch tones and kind of, you know, make that in a, into its own thing. I feel like there's been too much of them trying to appease, you know, trying to translate the exact story from the video games mm-hmm. and uh, try to appease the, you know, video gamers. I-, I feel like for it to be good, you kind of just have to, be like you know what what do we like from this property that we want to adapt into a a, a, a story for the cinema but mm-hmm. um yeah anyways uh t- talking about adapting things from the small screen to the big screen we have learned that there are not one not two but three walking dead movies on the way with Andrew Lincoln set to star HD what is going on here yeah, so The Walking Dead is nearing a decade of airing. It's um, since ninth season now. And a few of its original cast members have started to depart. We saw Steven Yun leave the show a few seasons ago. And Andrew Lincoln made a very highly publicized exit with this past uh, Sunday's episode titled What Comes After in a... Uh, I won't uh, like, spoil it. You would think that like he doesn't want to be part of this franchise anymore, yeah. the, the way he's been talking. So why has he signed up for three movies? Well, um, according to The Walking Dead Chief Content Officer Scott M. Gimple, uh, they've reached a kind of compromise with uh, The Walking Dead and Andrew Lincoln. Andrew Lincoln had apparently wanted to leave the, the franchise because it took him away from his family in England for nine months of the year. But by doing movies, it would only require him to be on set for two months of the year. But three movies will do a little bit more. But it's at the same time, it'll allow him to balance that family and um, t- and uh, entertainment life. Uh, and it seems that The Walking Dead movies won't be the only franchise expansion we'll see with this uh, with AMC Zombie franchise. They're planning to launch a, um, a even larger expansion that uh, is consistent of. Um, uh, several scripted titles, movies, possible more movies and series, and uh, this movie, these movies will actually be made for TV. So they won't quite hit the big screen yet, but it's part of a a huge Walking Dead cinematic universe that I guess the AMC is starting to build with uh, Andrew Lincoln's Rick Grimes leading the um, the charge with these films. 
I know none of us here still watch The Walking Dead. I watched like the first three seasons. I think a couple of you watched the first couple seasons. I watched the first two seasons. Yeah. Yeah. I gave up after season one. I feel like there's nothing appealing about this universe for me. Like, it's it, doing it on the small screen. I understand it's supposed to be all about the characters and the drama, but the the only thing that actually excites me about th- those first three seasons is actually when the action is going down and when it's more like a movie. So I was thinking, oh, maybe if it's a movie, maybe they'll have a bigger budget to be, you know, to have more of those kind of sequences and not be like, you know. Uh, all about, you know, some people hold up in a house or something. But th- then it just, what? It, what makes it different than any other zombie film? Yeah, I just found that the the show's increasingly nihilistic and bleak <laughs> outlook was beca- beginning to crush my soul and spirit in, in a way that was just becoming too masochistic for me to keep continuing to watch every week and And, and you um, stopped watching it and then reality became that yeah exactly (laughs) and i'm sure that there is a huge following and like it's still amc's most popular property and hence why they're trying to expand the franchise even more and making these made for tv movies uh which is also which also be a continuation for uh andrew lincoln by the way um Okay, let's move on to another horror property. That is A Quiet Place. The sequel is in development, and we now know a little bit about what the idea is for the sequel. Ben, tell us about it. Yeah, so John Krasinski, who directed the first movie, which came out earlier this year, uh, is back to write the second film. We don't think he's going to be directing it, although uh, no official director has been announced yet at this point. But in any case, in a new interview, John Krasinski explained his idea for A Quiet Place 2. He said, I had this very small idea, and what it was is that this is a world you can play in. This isn't just a character to remake or a group of characters or a story. It's actually a world, which is a whole different, very unique experience. It's something we feel very lucky to have. It's not like Alien or Jaws, where the main villain is the thing you're repeating. It's an actual set, uh, entire set of rules and the circumstances that the world has undergone that you could play in very different facets. So that basically echoes uh, some things that he said in the past where he's talked about, like in the movie, there's uh, the family that the family unit that we follow in that film um, lights a fire and sees other fires in the distance sort of going out as like like a comforting thing knowing that there are other humans out there in this world where there's this alien invasion has taken place and Krasinski has has sort of touched on the idea of like how did those people survive what are their stories that's a thing that he's uh, said in the past so this new quote about the world and and his approach to that kind of storytelling seems to uh, align with those previous statements about like yeah maybe this movie is going to take place uh, is going to follow a different group maybe in the same time you know seeing what happens to them during this this whole uh, period. The the thing that I mean that does seem like the good way to go with this. The thing that I'm wondering is, you know, with that first film, you kind of introduce a way for the humans to combat these aliens. And now that the audience knows that, like, how do you make it still as tense and suspenseful? I mean, I guess the characters on screen don't have that information, right? Right. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That, that would be an interesting challenge to sort of uh, have characters maybe flirt with discovering that secret, but 
maybe not quite getting there. And I could see that being frustrating for an audience. But I feel like the first uh, A Quiet Place movie was so good because the premise was great. The hook was great, obviously. But people really cared about those characters. So if Krasinski can bring that same touch to the sequel and give us a whole new set of characters that we really care about, I think... Uh, the way that the audience will feel about those characters could override any sense of like, all right, hurry up and figure it out kind of thing that, that might come in there. I also wonder if there's like other aliens on this, in this world. So, because he says like, you know, you're not just repeating Jaws. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. It, it could be interesting. Uh, but let's talk about Netflix. They're uh, starting to produce more special features. HD, tell us about it. So if you look in the trailers and more section of the Netflix page for Orson Welles' uh, long-awaited film, The Other Side of the Wind, you'll find a 40-minute special features that feature that delves into the making of this lost movie. And it this could be a one-off special feature that is uh, accompanying this 40 years in the making movie, or it could be the beginning of a new Netflix um Something that Netflix has kind of been uh, lacking in, special yeah. features. So special features has not really been a thing with Netflix titles, either original or licensed. Um, it might have to do with licensing issues, but we also haven't seen any for Netflix original films like Mudbound or Okja, which is an unfortunate thing. So um, this is a possible um, beginning of Netflix producing their own special features for uh, Netflix titles. And... Um, it's been it. I would hope so because uh, it's the only thing that's been closest to this, yeah. to having a special feature for a Netflix title is the Stranger Things after show, Beyond Stranger Things, uh, which was kind of an experiment for Netflix and uh, was a little bit unpopular with some people because of the way that it was presented as like a separate series. You had to seek it out, but uh, I would be interested in seeing more special features uh, for Netflix titles, especially. I think like that that Stranger Things after show just didn't work because it was like its own series. You couldn't watch it episode by episode. And mm-hmm. but uh, I did, you know, binge my way through it because I wanted to see kind of like the behind the scenes looks that were in that in those after shows. And they they do have that whole section you're talking about that like trailers and more section, mm-hmm. which seems to me like they're they're kind of starting to you know give a space for like extra features uh as as a person for for me who loved buying dvds loved listening to audio commentaries and watching behind the scenes documentaries i i I welcome it so the question i have for you guys is uh would you pay more for a netflix plan if it if it offered you the opportunity to also have you know audio commentaries and making of docs and stuff of all their original programming um i think i probably would actually because i think that it's a real um they're missing out on a real opportunity to appeal to movie fans who would watch all of those special features on on DVDs and everything and and especially because we probably won't see any physical releases for movies like Mudbound or Okja or The Other Side of the Wind and that would be a big loss I think to not know like what went into these films and um I think I would pay it would depend on like how much it would it would cost but I think I would pay extra to see some of these special features maybe even like per title 
not just like um kind of like a little like a small purchase or something that you can add to your library and not like a big flat fee that makes sense yeah that's a good idea i think for me if it's just for netflix original stuff i feel like netflix would need to up their game a little bit more for me to decide to pay for something like that um but if they did it for everything, you know, if they, and I, I know that's probably not possible with like music clearances and all sorts of rights issues and stuff. But if they had a thing where they're, you know, if if uh, special features content was produced for any given title and Netflix is licensing that title, they could also license the special features and, and have it sort of like they do with the other side of the wind, have it in a, a small section, you know, where people can easily access that for every title, regardless of whether or not it's a Netflix original, that is is uh, way more appealing to me. Yeah, no, I, I would love that. But you wouldn't be interested in, like, the original content stuff? Like the original? I mean, just right now, like, based on their, I don't know, I... I... I guess I guess they release, um, you know, featurettes and stuff like that. And I feel like I kind of get what I need to get from those for like shows like Orange is the New Black or House of Cards or whatever it is. Um, I don't know. I guess there. I guess I'm, I just haven't been super impressed with Netflix's original movie selection to the point where I would pay extra for special features for it at this point. But, you know, they're always. See, I'm, th- I'm thinking more in, like, the TV realm. Like, I want to see, like, Stranger Things extra features. I would like to see, you know, House of Cards, you know, in the writer's room or, you know, like, all that kind of stuff. Like, the stuff that you would get from a normal DVD. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, I guess that's true. I could I could, I could, could see um, th- there are enough Netflix shows out there. And maybe, like, they could do something with, like, stand-up specials and stuff, too. Have, like, a, you know, have the comedians, like, walk them through some of the process of putting together those shows because yeah. they do a ton of, of comedy and stuff like that, too. So, yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot of potential there. I don't know. I wonder if that's something that they would be interested in as a company. I, I just don't understand because their whole, you know, business model is to get people subscribed and watching as much content as they possibly can. And it seems like these special features, especially for the movies that are released, is already are already produced. So that's content that, like, it's very easy probably to license. The stuff that, you know, for, like, Stranger Things and original shows, I, I can't imagine it would be that much money to produce. Like, it would be a lot less money to produce that than it is producing their original programming. Mm-hmm. You know, so I feel like it would just keep people binging, which is what they want. You know, they want people. Yeah, they just... want eyes all the time. Yeah. Um, let's move on to 20th Century Fox, which apparently is using uh ai to predict uh audience behavior in movie trailers ben what is going on here yeah there's a new study that says that 20th century fox is using artificial intelligence to analyze movie trailers in the hopes of finding think parts of those trailers that audiences respond to and then recreating those elements in trailers for other movies uh to try to i mean like hollywood is is so uh, drilled down on analytics and details. And, you know, they, they've commissioned all of these different studies and, and every studio is doing this where they have all of these numbers that they, you know, it's all about data crunching and trying to predict audience behavior. So now uh, The Verge has pointed us to this study that was published last month where 20th Century Fox has created a machine, I guess, called Merlin, which is an experimental movie attendance prediction and recommendation system. And it's full of 
all sorts of technical jargon. And I, in this article at Slash Film, you guys can read, I would highly actually recommend that people read it because it's way easier to read and comprehend than it is for me to talk about it because it's so sort of like out in the, out, out, it's very out there. But uh, basically what happens is researchers take individual frames from movie trailers, use this machine learning to label specific items on the screen like trees and cars and faces and stuff like that. And then they compare that data with similar data from other trailers <laughs> and and then movie attendance numbers to see if they can sort of draw a correlation between all this stuff and help predict audience viewing patterns. So, I mean, so it's I just very... imagine it's like explosions equal money. i mean i guess i guess yeah there's a little bit of that they they actually did like a a thing where the this merlin system uh i guess took in all of the analytics from the logan trailer and then spat out a bunch of predictions of what audiences would want to see based on the images that they found in in this logan trailer and based on previous uh, movie attendance numbers and the number the the predictions weren't exactly right but like the top five movies that audiences actually did pay to see the, the computer system predicted those, but just not in the correct order. They didn't know they didn't put them in the top five. They actually put them in like the top 20 movies that audiences were, uh, that they predicted that audiences would want to see. So they're sort of on the right track here, even though it does sound kind of nuts, but like I said, it's, it's easier to, sort of comprehend this data in in text form than it is for me trying to talk about it in the abstract. But um, there's a a little statement here that uh, comes from the study. It says, the impacts of these tools on 20th Century Fox's marketing and data teams is significant. Instead of depending solely on high-level audience survey results, the team can now deploy more precise instruments to determine customer intent. The insights are at least two orders of magnitude more detailed than the previous set of analytics the studio had been relying on. So anything like that, studios are going to go crazy for because they're always looking for any way that they can try to predict the unpredictable, which is audience behavior. That's like the ultimate thing. See, see this is interesting because I, I don't think it's wrong. Like, I think, like, obviously you can uh, analyze things to a degree that you could probably predict what's going to relate to the general audiences in a big way. But the, I, I guess what worries me is, you know, I love the art of the movie trailer. I love movie trailers, and I feel like this is just going to result someday into, you know, oh, we need, you know, five trees, three explosions, Mm -hmm. you know, like whatever. It's like a paint by numbers, and then eventually it's going to trickle down to it's not just the marketing, but the next movie we're greenlighting needs to have, you know, 10 explosion, an action scene with the car, you know, and I'm sure they probably already do that and to some mm-hmm. extent, but it's going to be like, you know, a line item of like, you know, three pages of things they need in the movie. And they're like, okay, let's, let's make a movie based on this de- data. Yeah, yeah. I feel like they're, Oh, go ahead. HG. Oh no, I was just going to say, I agree with you, Peter. Like my fear from hearing about this, algorithm is that it'll create some sort of Frankenstein's monster of a trailer and then a Frankenstein's monster of movies essentially I was just gonna say I feel like they're already doing this to some degree like that's the only reason I can I can understand why a movie like The Legend of Tarzan for example got a green light is because of 
data and analytics and people going, okay, this is a, an, a you know an untapped IP, and all of these numbers say that with Margot Robbie as the female lead, you know, X number of people will show up and stuff. But I, I feel like th- there's proof. It seems like every year where there are a bunch of movies like that that get funded and made and like nobody goes to see them so maybe with the the saving grace and all of this will be that the companies will realize that even with these analytics they're not going to be able to generate an entire movie or an entire trailer just based on that alone there has to be like a human artistic element to it um i don't know that that could be me being naive but uh, that's what i hope anyway but, but then they're gonna like have a trailer and they're like oh we were missing one explosion. Let's go order reshoot so we can get the extra explosion for the trailer, just for the trailer, or you yeah. know whatever. Um, I don't know. It, it worries me a little bit. Uh, but l- let's move on to Ralph breaks the internet, which uh, had its first screening over the weekend for the big junket. I was there, but uh, HT, we, we have a whole write up of all the reactions from the screening because the review embargo is still uh, up, so I can't really talk about it in depth. But what what are people tweeting? People are, have a really positive reaction to Ralph Breaks the Internet, which is the sequel to uh, 2012's Wreck-It Ralph. So um, Germaine Lucier, who uh, used to write for Slash Film and now works at io9, uh, compared it, uh, said that it was it's an equal to his predecessor and uh, has huge heart, which is something that's repeated with a lot of other critics. Uh, Scott Menzel says it's even better than the original in every way with huge laughs and plenty of heart and especially compliments the pr- princess sequence, which is uh, a highly anticipated uh, scene that reunites all of the Disney princesses from um, all of the Disney films and uh, has all the original voice actors as well. So uh, generally extremely positive. Um, it's a apparently great for Disney diehard Disney fans, according to uh, Charlie Richley, who says it has a lot of fun references and Easter eggs. Uh, again, talks about the princess film scene, which is uh, perfect, as he says. <laughs> um, and uh, a lot of people calling it heartfelt, funny, just as much as the original, uh, full of sweet charm, subversive laughs. And uh, yeah, some even calling it better than the original. But I know that's not your exactly your <laughs> thought process, Peter. So I would like to know what you thought of Ralph Breaks the Internet. Um, well, very briefly, I love the original. The original probably is uh, one of my favorite uh, Disney animation films. I, you know, I grew up in that kind of uh, arcade and 8-bit world. And this movie takes... Uh, you know, Ralph and Vanellope to the world of the internet, which to me is not as exciting. So I, going in, I knew that I wasn't going to like this film as much. And I didn't like it as much, but it, it is a lot of fun. There's a lot of laughed out loud moments. Uh, but I think uh, what is really at the core of this movie is the character-driven emotional center. There's a deeper dissection of, you know, the internet's pitfalls and toxic relationships that and uh i don't know there, there's just some fun and clever stuff the world building of presenting the internet as a actual you know place that you can navigate is a uh, is a lot of fun but I, I i think uh yeah i don't think it's as good as the first film but you know what it seems like a lot of people do so you know it, it could just be me but uh yeah and uh let's move on to our final story and that is the AMC announced today that they are raising prices for AMC A-List in 15 states and expanding features and uh, becoming a little bit more family friendly 
Ben, what do we know? Yeah, so there's a big uh, press release from AMC about their AMC Stubbs A-List program. And uh, I guess I'll just go through some of the highlights here. I, you can read the full thing at SlashFilm.com, obviously. But uh, in 2019, beginning on January 9th, 2019, the monthly price will move from $19.95 a month to $21.95 a month for people in Colorado, Delaware, Florida, Georgia, Illinois, Maryland, Minnesota, Pennsylvania, Virginia, Washington State, and the District of Columbia. And it will actually increase to $23.95 a month for people in California, Connecticut, Massachusetts, New Jersey, and New York. So that's, uh, you know, uh, I guess it's not a huge increase, but it's a, a decent amount. Um, it's one of those things that we sort of saw coming even from the beginning of AMC Stubbs A-List being announced. We knew that eventually this was going to happen. And sort of in a in a bid, I guess, to offset some of the potential ill will from uh, from this price change, uh, AMC is also instituting some new features to sort of soften the blow a little bit. So by June of 2019, they're going to have reserved seating in almost all of its theaters. Um, they're going to have, uh, for in many of its major markets, they're going to make mobile ordering available to guests, which basically lets people buy their food and drinks online at the same time that they buy their tickets. So that's, uh, you know, you can just like walk in and pick up your stuff and just go straight to your seat. So that would save people time waiting in line and all that. Um, there is hilariously a, a big paragraph in this press release that basically lets they, they make it very, very clear that they are not like movie pass. And they're going to put a 90 day advance notice in effect before they make any changes to the program pricing or benefits or anything like that. And they're just going to be super transparent with everything that they're doing. <laughs> There's yeah. this paragraph. The, the paragraph really, never mentions movie pass, but it's right. just like, we, we want to be upfront and we want to, you know, we don't want you to lose your faith as customers and like right. all this stuff. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then lastly, they, um, to make things a little bit more convenient for families, they're actually letting, um, People and this this part is uh, effective immediately. They're letting households use a single credit card to pay for separate individual A-list accounts, um, and they've actually dropped the minimum age from 18 to 16 as long as you have a, a valid photo ID. So, you know, allowing one card to be used makes payments easier to keep track of for families and stuff who have. Um, maybe teenagers uh, who are big movie fans and uh, have their own membership plans. This still seems like these like improvements aren't like that big i'm sure they were already planning to expand their online ticketing or their you know uh seat reservation uh system to, mm -hmm. to their entire fleet uh you know that's not something that they're like oh this amc a-list is doing so well we're gonna do that um i like and it's it's cool that they're allowing families to use the same credit card but that doesn't mean that you can, like, buy tickets together. You still all have to go into your apps and, like, pick out your seat and hope that, like, you know, you can get seats by each other. Like, I, I feel like they still have some ways to go. And they still need to allow people under 16. I feel like that's ridiculous. But uh, – and they're, they're also framing this as uh, we're holding steady with the price in in 35 of the 50 states. But, you know – I guess that's the the positive spin on you know their raising prices in the fifteen states that most people see movies. Right, um, right. HT, you you recently became an AMC A list member, right? 
Yeah, so you guys know that I was one of the lone holdouts for <laughs> on Movie Pass, and uh, I actually still have my subscription. It's going to run out in January, but it was becoming yeah very frustrating for me uh, to be able to see any movies during the weekends. But so I ended up getting movie uh, getting AMC A list, and it's been able it's been it's enabled me to go see more of the wide releases at AMC, and I've I've actually liked it quite a lot. <laughs> I'm not betraying movie pass or anything. I I have um just looking for the best deal. So, um I I think that this price raise is a little annoying, but um I'm fine with them raising prices as long as they don't, you know, go down the toilet like movie pass did. And I think I I, I think it it makes sense as sort of a um a necessary move for them to maintain this program. And yeah, I wish they would kind of uh imp- Improve it a little faster or maybe make more drastic improvements like the the group sort of reservations and stuff because that does make it a little annoying although for now I kind of I just I, I just tend to do either solo outings or one with other one other person so yeah. it makes sense for me right now oh Peter there's one more thing that I should have mentioned before if you've already signed up for a list or if you sign up before January 9th 2019 you'll still get that 1995 a month uh, price for the first 12 months of your membership. So oh. you could you could sign up on January 8th, 2019 and yeah. still get locked in for a full year of 1995, even if you're in California or one of those other uh, states where the price is supposed to get hiked. That that almost sounded like a sponsored advertisement. No, which I, it was I mean, not. it's just, yeah. it was, certainly was not, but it was just yeah. an important thing for people who are listening who maybe just yeah. subscribed or something. And they're like, like what? January 9th? Yeah, yeah like, th- then my price is going to go up. That's not necessarily true, yeah. so. And HT would have been screwed either way because Washington, D.C. and New York are both yeah. raising their prices. Both of them. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Can't escape. Um, okay, one last question, guys. I know we're, we're getting uh, – this podcast is getting too long. But uh, what price do you see something like AMC A-List uh, rising to where it becomes unattractive to, to you personally? I know, Ben, I know you don't have AMC A-List yet. I don't because I get to see uh, I'm lucky enough to get a lot yeah. of um, movie screenings and stuff. But I feel like if for me, this question, it, I think twenty five dollars a month would because I see movies a lot with my wife, like almost exclusively, like we go together every time, basically. And I think so that would mean that I would be paying fifty dollars a month for both of us to have this service. And if it went anything above that, I know that like like uh, I guess analytically i know that we would still be paying more uh if we bought the tickets individually because we're in la and because movie ticket prices are so high here but just seeing you know anything more than 50 dollars a month on like a monthly statement or something i think that would just be like this mental um this mental bridge that i don't know if i would be able to cross see I use my AMC list almost on a weekly basis. So technically in LA, that's like, you know, at a bottom line ticket price, that's what, like $60 a month value or something? And then if if I'm seeing IMAX or Dolby, it's probably even more money than that. Uh, But personally, I would say like the price of two tickets, I think is like the higher end of what I would be willing to pay. HT, what, what is the highest that you would be willing to pay for a list? It's the same for me. I would not like to pay more than 
about $30 because that's about the price of two tickets because I do see it see more than two movies a month yeah. definitely I'm, I'm kind of the same movie going habits as you Peter um, I don't get to see a lot of screenings so I end up going at least like every weekend uh, sometimes every other weekend but still I end up seeing at least four movies a month and uh, having paying at ma- maximum $30 for that uh, would make it worth it for me, but I would prefer it to hover around 25 or less. I uh, I would like to see if, if they're going to do some upgrades. One thing I've noticed since the, the introduction of AMC A-List, all the Dolby theaters and the IMAX theaters have been selling out way more in advance. I would love to see AMC actually start to transition some of the, their other auditoriums to those like Adobe or Prime theaters with like the comfortable recliner seats and stuff like that. Like, you know, put an investment in those and, you know, I think that would be a good value for A-list subscribers. But um, mm. yeah. Anyways, that brings us to the end of today's Slash Film Daily. Ben, where can people find more of your work online? You can find me writing at SlashFilm.com. You can find me on Twitter at Ben Pears. And one thing that I, I put together recently that I didn't get a chance to talk about on an episode of the podcast was my wife and I went to uh, Northern Ireland and visited a bunch of Game of Thrones locations. And I put together this big video that went up on Friday. So maybe we can put that in the show notes and have people check that out if you're interested. Uh, I worked hard on it and I would love for you to watch it and give it, you know, let me know what you think. I will link that in the show notes. HD, where can people find more of your work? You can also find me every day at SlashFilm.com, and I'm on Twitter at htranbuie. You can find me at SlashFilm on all social media. You can find all the stories we talked about today on SlashFilm.com and linked in the show notes. This podcast, SlashFilm Daily, is published every weekday on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send us your questions, comments, concerns, and feedback to Peter at SlashFilm.com. And please go to our iTunes page, give us a five-star review, uh, You know, rate us. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll see you tomorrow.